Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. We're coming to you after <laughs> like the most mundane game of football you'll ever see. Liverpool nil, Chelsea nil. Um, I've got Chief in Donegal. I've got Beryl in the Netherlands in some like weird wee town that I can't pronounce. And I've got Auntie Bell in Liverpool. So look, we'll, we'll talk about a pile of other stuff that's like rumbling around in the background. But um, Beryl, let's start with Chelsea. Um, fucking hell, it was boring, wasn't it? Like, two teams that weren't very good, um, like, trying to feed each other out. There was, like, a stage at the start of the second half where I thought we were decent. Like, we looked like, let's go out and let's be really energetic and, like, press them. And I think Nunez had a chance after we, like, suffocated them just in the edge of the box. But ultimately, it kind of felt like it was about 20 minutes to go. Both teams just settled for a point and thought this will do us. That kind of feels like where we are now, doesn't it? Yeah, and the most, you know, the worst about it is is um, that it was actually an improvement on, on previous games. It was. So, <laughs> so but you know, th- this is where we are at the moment. But um, yeah, it was it was like two blindfolded boxers trying to slug it out. And uh, it, 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 you know, it lacked any sort of of uh, quality invention, whatever, you know. And and and, uh, and when they scored, uh, I thought, oh, here we go again. And again, this Harvard's fucker who scores from a from a from an early corner, you know, he did this last season or the season before. I I can't remember, but and that was a proper goal. And this this was, you know, uh, I was. Uh, cursing and and saying why didn't we clear that and how is it that we keep conceding from corners now? Uh, uh, luckily, you know it was uh, it, it was some sort of offside. Um, but you know after that, I, I thought you know the first half we were absolutely second best. I, I thought we started well at, in the second half. Well, you know relatively well, um, which we. Oftentimes don't do in in this season, uh, but and and if you score by chance, you know, um, and maybe something else happens. Maybe you get invigorated a little. I, I listened to the Anfield rap uh, a couple of days uh, ago, and and uh, um, they had this good point that, and and this was what I thought. I I, I was hoping that that uh, uh, Darwin would come on. Uh, at halftime, because you know it was quite clear that we, we were uh, very blunt in attack, and uh, you know I was hoping that Gakpo could play where he you know is supposed to play, because you know that is his position has has been his position forever you know left wing, and uh, and, and you know him providing some crosses for Darwin. I was you know hoping for a goal or or, or two. He didn't come on until it was too late. I thought, you know, we, we lost all momentum. Um, but yeah, also, I when he think... when he came on, but all Darwin played on the left and Gakpo stayed yeah. central. It's interesting. Uh, it's I, I'm I'm not sure what we if it was because you know Gakpo started there and they didn't want to change that, or that they seriously think he he is someone for uh, through the center. I, I you know I hope. That isn't the case because you know he isn't. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, it, it was a it was a very bad game, and and I think not only the players were were not at their best, but also the, the both coaches uh, weren't at their best as well. So yeah, yeah but you know, a point. Let's go. Yeah, a point, a point, and yeah, I think Andy, it's fair to say that again for for the second game in a row afterwards. We're we're not played through at any point during the game, which I think is that that for me is a positive um, because it's it's been a theme of this season where teams have played right through the middle of us very very easily, and that opportunity didn't really present itself to Chelsea. Now there's an argument to say that Chelsea Wolves don't really have the players for that in that area of the pitch, but you know I'm I'm finding every crumb of comfort where I can. Um, but yeah, I think the point does remain, and it's a valid one that you make, that it felt strange 
for for the sub, it, was, it seemed very obvious to everybody watching that it would be either a midfielder off and Elliot dropping and move Gakpo left and put Thurman through the middle or just take Elliot off and put... Because Elliot's out there a fish out of water as well. That's not his position. So it, 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 it maybe draws me back to the transfer strategy as well, but it felt a little bit like round pegs and square holes. And it looked like, very much looked like round pegs and square holes. It did, yeah. Um, who, who was the third? Oh, it was Naby Keita played with Thiago and Bicetic. And you're right, we didn't get played through as much in the way that Wolves did when they came to Anfield or Leicester did a couple of times or, you know, that that, that we've seen also often recently, Brentford and Brighton, probably the most critical examples of that. Um, and I think part of that is by Chetich's legs and what he offers you there. And, okay, he mistimed a couple of tackles and fine, he didn't hold on to the ball every single time, but he did ensure that he got around the midfield and got pressure on people and didn't give them you know, two, three, four seconds of time to pick their pass and for runners to time their runs perfectly. He, he put pressure on, and I thought, even though he probably won't think he had his best game, I actually thought he was one of our better players, you know, maybe in our actual top two or three players in that match. I thought he played really well. And that said, even though we weren't played through, we did not retain possession in any way, shape or form. It's probably been the worst performance in terms of possession retention of the season, you know, we got the ball back, we got touches on the ball, but any every pass seemed like it was such graft. Nobody seemed like they ever had any options. And the player in the ball was always getting stick from the home fans and from the cop. But you looked at it, and every time you saw it, uh, you saw them play the ball to the opposition, it was like, well, they didn't really have any other option, really, if, as to what to do there. And this is what it, it comes back to this for me, where any chances we did create or even half chances we created or even where we progressed the ball 20 or 30 yards, it seemed like such graft and every single pass in a move had to be world-class to even create a half chance. And I never remember it being this difficult. <laughs> it always looked like we effortlessly swayed, um, you know, through the transitions, through the thirds in the attack and got our, our, our quick lads on the ball. And for me, no playing here, there and everywhere. Whereas now it feels like oh, like it's so, so difficult to create a chance. And when we do, everything has to be amazing. And even then, if you miss it, you're probably not going to get another for about 40 minutes or so. So, you know, it was it was a different team. Naby Keita didn't really work in it, I don't think, but simultaneously deserved his chance. I thought Harvey Elliott, from a possession retention point of view, as I just said, was actually one of the better ones, even though he had no impact whatsoever on the attacking forefront um, of the game. Every, but when he got the ball, he was able to calm things down and find a pass and get us up the pitch a little bit. So when you're judging your left winger based on is he finding a pass rather than is he you know threatening the fullback or is he getting crosses and, in or is he yeah, creating chances and, and not, even, know, not, even finding, not even not even finding a dangerous pass but like just finding a safe pass. Literally, yeah, and just find a pass where we can we can hold on to it for a second and Chelsea, you know. I think the worst thing about it was we made Chelsea look like it was a, a Chelsea of the peak Mourinho coming to Anfield and you're they're well organised and you know you're maybe only get, going to get one or two chances and they're going to give you no time and they're going to be compact. We made them look like that, but we know from the Chelsea of <laughs> Graham Potter's taken on that they're not that. They're absolutely not that. <laughs> they are really, as you said it in the intro, mid-table side. They're a mid-table side, and we're a mid-table side, and it was just two mid-table sides playing against each other. It was boring. It was drab. It was short in quality. And to be honest, probably once again, we're a little bit lucky to come away with a point because they had better chances than us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Chief, um, again, I think there's a parallel to be drawn between these two sides as much as if we step away from the fact that it's a new, you know, where we lie in the league table, it's a new experience for these two sides over the last couple of years. But again, very much a team that seems to have lost its identity, that doesn't really know what it's supposed to be doing um, for two very different reasons, might I add. But if I try to be kind to the Reds here, is there maybe a sense of, 
the coaching staff, the managers had a plan. Start of the season. We've got Jota. We've got Salah. We've got that midfield, which we'll come on to. But we've got Nunez and we've got Diaz. And there is, there's a plan here for, say, Salah and Nunez-Diaz. There's a plan there. And then the extended plan is for Gakpo, which is maybe why we're persistent through the middle for him to become the fourth, like the Jota sort of player that can just you, you, you fit in where we need you to fit in, when we need you to fit in there and be able to be equally as effective in any of those positions. And it hasn't worked because of the fact that we have so many players injured, so many players out. And now we're persisting with this approach throughout the rest of the side, but we actually haven't got the key components of the plan on the pitch to be able to see it right through to the finish. Yeah, well, I mean, Liverpool and Chelsea are, are an interesting, you know, couple of examples because you can dr- sort of draw parallels between them. I mean, we played Chelsea in, in both the finals last year. So they, you know, they played an extraordinary amount of games last season as well. Um, and they've got an injury list that's about as long as ours. So both sides are massively depleted. And both teams are undergoing transition. Um, Chelsea would have been anyway, with or without Potter, because uh, the players that, that uh, have come in under the the, the new owner. But um, you know, add in a new manager and a new style. Well, you know that ups things a lot. Um, the the injuries we have, and obviously the the transition we're making is we're trying to sort of bring blood in and. and Bed in the foundations of a of a new side, really. Uh, in terms, certainly in terms of the front three, um, you know, Bobby's been in and out this season because of injury, and um, you know, there's a lot lot of talk that'll be perhaps on his way at the end of the season anyway. Obviously, Mane's gone, and uh, so Mo's really the only the only uh, mainstay that's left there. So obviously we had Jada before. Um, we've been, you know, he's he's been with us for a little while, but um, we've added Darwin and you know Luis Diaz very recently. So you're essentially you've got a whole new attack there. And when you when you've got that on paper and everyone's fit, it's 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 lethal and it's the same. For Chelsea, Chelsea squad is is also immense, and when they have everyone fit, they're um, they're they're good to go. But um, when you are trying to affect the transition, you you don't have the you don't have any of the players really available, and you're mixing and matching, and you know you can't play the same back four fucking more than two games in a row um, at any point in the season. You are gonna get derailed, you know. You couple that with the fact that you played one hundred and fifty-two thousand games last season. You're gonna get in trouble, um, and the wheels could fall off, and it sort of happened to us, and it's it's happened to Chelsea a little bit as well, because like I said, they weren't far behind us in the number of games, and I think over the last few seasons, I think I heard this on the Anfield Wrap, um, the number of games played, certainly by we we've played the most, I think, um, certainly in the last. If you, yeah, if you just I think, it, the last I think Chelsea, Chelsea are second. In yeah, that list. so it's us and Chelsea, and you know we did look, we looked bereft. Both sides looked really bereft of 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 energy, of um, intensity, of real quality, and and of sort of belief ultimately. So you know it had no. It was one of those you're watching. And I was sort of half watching it and half playing pool. And you just know that it's got nil-nil written all over it, you know, from from like half an hour in or whatever. You can, you can certainly from the from five minutes in the second half. And you're sort of hoping, you know, maybe we can we can nick one in one of our forays. But Salah had a couple of chances. He has that air shot, which if he just connects, it probably flies in. And he has that one that's left, which you would sort of fancy him for, but he, he puts it way over. Um, he doesn't, and, say, he doesn't you know, score that goal anywhere near as often as people think he does. No, but he used to. And if he's if he's on form, he does. He scores it. You know what I mean? But he's, he is yeah. off form. You know what I mean? 
there's no no two ways about it. He's, but they're all off form. It's, yeah, it's, everybody like is, and everyone's yeah. just slightly off. And I think you know, in the in the post the post pandemic season or the pandemic season, the behind closed doors season, everything went off a cliff. And it, it it went up a cliff at a certain point when the injuries really kicked in. Matip goes off, isn't it, against West Brom? And from there on, we... we, we yeah, we that's lose. like the final straw, isn't it? Yeah, that's the final breaks, straw. The, breaks the camel's back and, and boy, does it get broken. Um, And it, it sort of seems like we've hit a bit of that again this, this season. Uh, albeit, you know, we started, we started poorly. But I just think, as I'll keep coming back to it, the... Um, the tolls of last season and not winning the, the the big ones and then not refreshing and not having a pre-season and going straight in. It's it's just buckled us. And uh yeah, whenever you you know, the injuries that we have now are, are sort of testament to that. And you throw them in, you know, you just gotta ride it out and, and sort of hope that, that people start coming back and you can you can put a run together towards the end of the season like we did in the behind closed door season and do enough. To get in because you don't see where the goals are coming from at the minute. You know you don't see where the wins are, but part the positive is it's it's two clean sheets yeah, in a row. So you can sort of look at it like that because we've been shipping goals like nobody's business. Yeah, we we, we really have been shipping goals like nobody's business. Um, Beryl, all right, let's move to Chelsea's so boring. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Um, let's switch over. Um, let's look at some. Right, let's look at some transfers. Right for the crack. All right, we'll knock it in the Spurs. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I felt like I feel like we should do this like a really good album. We kind of finding we're finding the mood. We're bringing you down, and we're going to bring you back up again. So loads of transfer links, all of which are absolute horseshit, right? Let's start with the, um, due to your uh, knowledge, the, the Grappenberg's link. He's on loan at, at no, sorry, um, Baron Bottom in the summer, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Hasn't <laughs> really featured, which, no. <laughs> and like when you look, he's, he's big, he's powerfully strong. Um, you, would have, you, you would be led to believe that he's a technical midfielder. Um, yeah. And he sounds like everything that you know, and Nagelsmann, and Nagelsmann, uh, Julian Nagelsmann will want, you know, physical, box to box, energy, quick, fast, strong, skillful, technical, great first touch, and he hardly gets a kick. And there are some loan rumors which have kind of been, you know, uh, dampened in the last couple of days. But where are you on him? Does this make sense for him? Does this make sense for us? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, the the most likely outcome is that we get in uh, a midfielder on loan, and uh, you know, our, our track record uh, hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been very uh, very good on the on the on the loanees. But you know, uh, let, let's say uh, he he was available for loan. Um, he, he should, uh, you, you know, you need to ask yourself well, why doesn't he play for uh, uh, for Bayern if he if he's uh, in form. Um, you know, it's it's not like he's going to a smaller club who, who uh, uh, you know, ha, will have a, a place for him in, in the squad. At the same time, we we desperately need a midfielder, and he 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 is uh, certainly a talented player. Uh, he's he's more actually the the type of player that uh, that that's you know the d- deep playmaker type of player. So you know, sitting uh, in front of uh, the the defense, but uh, not so much to 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 cover them from uh, from attacks, but more so uh, to you know um, give the passes to from left to right. So in, in order to, for the team to 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 get into position, you know, he, he is a bit like Rodri. Um, he, you know, uh, tall, technical, etc. But Rodri is 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 a couple of years uh, further on in his career, and uh, and he is really good at, at, at what he's doing. Um, I think they they are very comparable players in in uh, the type of thing that they do and the type of uh, qualities that they have. 
but Gravenberg is um, nineteen twenty something like that. He's he's young, and um, you know we were talking about this um, pre-pod. Ajax players uh, always have uh, have have good technical skills, but they sometimes lack some um, some. Um, you know uh, what's the what's the, the the word that I'm looking for? You know, they haven't met very much uh, resistance. Yeah, yeah, resilience. Yeah, yeah, and and they lack resilience in that. You know that they they aren't uh, uh, they aren't accustomed to 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 sometimes lose, and and uh, you know in a match and do something against it. So you know that they are uh, they they have the sense of entitlement uh, uh, which. Yes, sometimes is is good, you know. Being a, a bit of an arrogant player can can convince the opponent that you're, uh, you know, maybe even better than you really are. But uh, on the other hand, um, if you don't know when to graft and when to to fight for your chances, then you know uh, you you can't um, you can't win essentially. So uh, I think he 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 has uh, lots of potential, but he isn't the finished product. So. If we were to get him in, he would probably need a couple of months to to settle in, and you know the season would be over. So if we loan someone in, I would uh, prefer someone who would be, uh, you know, someone who could be slotted in right right uh, right away. If we were to get him in on loan with uh, an option to buy him, then yeah, I would be on board with that. I think uh, he has lots of attributes that would be. Uh, in in future years, um, very welcome at at Liverpool. Yeah, he almost seems like the player that we should own and be looking to loan out, as opposed to the player that we should be we should be exactly. looking to loan in. You know, exactly. Um, yeah, Andy, um, interested on your thoughts on Mason Mount. Um, for me, this feels like this feels like Sergio Ramos getting touted to Manchester United to get himself an extra 20 grand on his next contract kind of scenario. But I, everything I, everything I hear about Mason Mount, this makes absolute sense. This for me of all of the transfers that we've been kind of talking around, this is the one that I feel like based on what we've done previously is absolute. Like it's the, it is a, it's a jigsaw piece that fits. Do you know what I mean? He's tactically aware, tactically intelligent. He is um, resilient physically, um, very rarely injured from what I can tell. He has a great right foot, um, can make those late runs into the box, score goals, technically superb, and would feel to me like a bit of a like a bit of a Jordan Henderson replacement on that kind of right hand side of a midfield three. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. The Mount links has sort of come from nowhere. He's never even been mentioned as a as a potential move to us in previous transfer windows. I saw a poll on Twitter the other day, which was who would you rather sign, Mason Mount or Mateus Nunes? And Liverpool fans have voted Mateus Nunes sixty three percent. And I was like, am I living in an alternative reality here? Like this is utterly utterly mental. First of all. Anytime I've seen Mateus Nunes, he's been shite, and I understand that I must be only watching his bad games because people rave about him. And even in the games I think he's been shite, people think he's good. So it must be some sort of a blind spot for me. But it's like this weird little thing on Twitter where every everyone thinks they're a tactical now, don't they? And everyone thinks that uh, you know just because Nunes is well, Nunes everyone doesn't lose everything. Um, well, yeah, Nunes, Nunes doesn't put the ball in the net, and and Mason Mount does. Therefore, you know, people think they're more intelligent than others by saying. That, that Nunes is a better player. It's 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 not even comparable for me. Mason Mount would be a, an absolutely brilliant signing for Liverpool. And I think, you know, he's he's been off form, I think, recently. I think Chelsea fans have been getting on his back a little bit. Maybe this is where the idea of him um, not signing a new contract is coming from, whether Chelsea aren't offering him quite enough at this point. You know, this is supposed to be his big, fat contract now, you know, where he goes and gets his big money and he's earned it. He's come through the academy. What is he now, 24, 25? I was going to say, he can't be any older than 25. Um, But, you know, this this, this is his big one. This is his big big contract. And 
it could be a case of he's asking for a little bit more than what they're asking for, which then sort of ties into the idea of where does he fit into our wage structure? You know, is he going to that, That's in? the thing, Andy, and I think, sorry to cut across you here, but I All think right. this is kind of the thing. It's the way Chelsea have been like absolutely just offloading cash recently has maybe changed the parameters, certainly for his agent, on what he thinks he can get for this next yeah. contract. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's absurd the money that Chelsea have spent. So it's a very logical kind of one plus one equals actually two for the teams to say, look at all the money these guys are spending. If they can't afford another 21 for you, for you then what what's the crack? And and this is the thing as well, where you know, Chelsea are obviously they're 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 a basket case of a club. There's no continuity, there's no succession plan right now, there's no strategy. There never has been. They're a boom and bust club. There right? never has been, but, but even more to uh, you know, to even more of an extent now, there's not. And Mason Mount's probably looking there, thinking I've been around for five, six years. Uh, you know, I've been playing well. I'm not the absolute flashiest football in the world in the sense that he's never going to get sort of, he's never going to score ten goals in seven games. But he does keep ticking along with an assist or a goal every other week or every couple of weeks. Always gets over ten goals, ten assists in a season. And, you know, that type of player isn't sort of the flashy um, big money signing coming in, getting the fans excited that maybe Todd Bowley's going for, that maybe Graham Potter's going to have to go for. So maybe he's sort of thinking, what's my future in this team? Am I going to get enough starts at 25 years old um, to really make an impact? Or are they just going to keep signing players and signing players? And are people, you know, going to keep demanding that? And it it might be a bit of a quandary for him in terms of his career at the moment. So... You know the move. The move does make sense. Where does he fit into the wage structure? I'm not sure. But just on the point of, of him being off form, there's not been a a young player in the history of football who hasn't had an off season or hasn't had a period off form. You know, Mohamed Salah. It goes well, Andy, it's kind, of, it's kind of like. But we talked about Salah earlier. So okay, he's off form. Who the fuck isn't in the Liverpool team? And it's kind of the same. But it's kind of the same with Mason Mount. Do you know? People are saying he's, he's out of form. Chelsea are fucking sitting what eighth or ninth or something. Everybody's off form. But we know how we know how reactive supporters are these days. You know, Harvey Elliott has a couple of bad games. He doesn't look like he's quite physically able right now to play in midfield, and people are writing him off as you know. Well, he's never going to make it at Liverpool. Same with Curtis Jones. Same with Carvalho, which is mad because he's hardly played for us and he's still scored three or four goals at nineteen in his first season in the Premier League. And, you know, as I say, Harry Kane is the best striker in the Premier League right now, maybe not with Stan and Haaland, but all around is Harry Kane. I remember a season where Harry Kane was absolutely brutal. I remember uh, they played us just before Christmas, and it was like Harry Kane's second goal of the season um, when he scored against us. And you, these are world-class players who just have a bit, a bit of off form, and because fans are so reactive these days and so binary, if a player has an off two or three months, it must mean they're automatically shit or they've fallen off a cliff or they're in decline or they're too old or they're this, that and the other. So, yeah, if we can pick him up... Legs um, have fallen off. Yeah, if we can pick him up and we can fit him into our team and our wage structure without pissing off players who have been there and done it and won it all for us, absolutely get him in and certainly get him in ahead of Mateo Nunes. Shit him. <laughs> it's really funny. To be fair, I saw him come on against us in the FA Cup. I didn't really pay much attention to the first leg. In fact, thinking about it, I don't even think I watched the first leg. Um, but the second leg, come on, he was dreadful. He was he was absolutely dreadful. Um, anyway, Chief. Um, so the other one, the other one that's floating around is is Caicedo. Um, there's been music to your ears, Oxley and Chamberlain link to Brighton. <laughs> absolute music. Ta-da! To your ears. I know, right? This is a day that she's been waiting for um, for like six or seven years. Unfortunately, um, for far too long. I well, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but I say, you know, he, 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 he kind of looks like everything we need right now, doesn't he? Um, but then the, the, the kind of caveat to that, and this is the caveat to that, right? It was only probably a year ago or a, a year and a half ago, that we were saying East Basuma was everything that this team needed right now. <laughs> and he's gone to Tottenham. He's not really playing. My Both of my brothers are Spurs fans, and they tell me he's fucking stinking up the place. So, you know, I don't know. Are they just very good at buying players like we, like we used to be, fitting into a very specific system that they get the absolute best out of? And when they move to something different, you actually start to expose their deficiencies. 
Yeah, it could be, could be. I mean, all players players are different. Like, um, I think Basuma. I think Caicedo is the upgrade, isn't he? On Basuma, um, I think they knew they were they were letting Basuma go for a little while because he he had suitors, and I think, to be honest, whenever he finally did go, it's probably a season season too late. He he sort of peaked. And he was on, he was he was on the on the downward, and he he's barely got a sniff at Spurs, um, as you mentioned there. But Caicedo seems to be, he seems that he seems to have it all. He seems to have everything you'd you'd want in 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 that position. You know, he's he's seems to be quick, um, read the game well. He's young. He, he seems to be robust. He's got um, you know he's he's got good international experience. Um, he seems to have adjusted the pace of the game, the pace of the Premier League, really, really well and stuff. But you know, there is something you sort of you worry about a little bit. Like you remember that that old sort of football cliche of second season syndrome. You know, I mean, I, I do worry a little bit if if you know a, a club signs a player and he, he's brilliant for, you know, the first six months, and you know, then a bigger club jumps in and it goes right, we'll have him. There's no guarantee that that progression, you know, that's going to be a progression that they, or or that's going to last. It could just be that, you know, come in, had a purple patch, you know, as as some players do, and and they eventually sort of revert to the mean or they revert to the mean pretty quickly. So that's always a little bit of a worry. I mean, I don't know if we were we we were bound to have been monitoring monitoring him while he was still, you know before he came to the Premier League, I suppose. So you'd hope that, uh, you know, we've done our due diligence and it is a, a consistent linear pat- pattern of, of improvement kind of thing. But um, you wouldn't necessarily know. So there's a bit of a worry there. I mean, I know we we need we need one of them. I mean, we're having a look at Grabenberg there while you were chatting about him. He looks he looks very interesting. Um the kind of player that yeah if you were going to loan him you'd, you'd probably want the option to to maybe buy at the end of it you wouldn't want it just to be you know six months train him up a bit and then he goes back to Bayern and, and sort of tears up trees um because he, he you know he's he's got all the attributes you know certainly physically I think he's six foot three I'm reading about him there he really covers the ground um um we're always saying a few things about him there as well. Um, maybe he hasn't met that much resistance, but he's only 20, I think, or just 21. So, you know, there's plenty of time to sort of put that into him. Um, and Mason Mount, as Andy was saying, you know, different type of player, but certainly a goal threat. You know, you bring him in and he was, he's, he's been consistently picked at Chelsea under. You know a variety of managers, um, and consistently performed, and he does well for England as well. So, yeah, I think that would be a bit of a no-brainer. It's, it's it all sounds like he's a bit Chelsea's Jordan Henderson, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Like they they take him for granted. Like he he doesn't really probably get necessarily the the credit that he deserves um, at times. But then he's probably at, at, at certain points been been overhyped a little bit as well. By by others, so yeah, I can sort of see what you mean. But um, he gets he gets a lot more goals than Henderson. <laughs> that's that's one thing. Different, obviously, different positions, but it's a bit of a no-brainer, as Andy was saying. If if you, if you are letting Chamberlain go and, and you want someone in that position, and you know he's potentially going, then why not? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fair enough. Um, we've we've seen Sophie and Amrabat linked. Apparently, um, <laughs> he doesn't want to sign for us because we're we're approaching too many midfielders. I don't know what that means. I don't mean if Liverpool. I don't know if Liverpool can approach too many midfielders right now. But yeah, we are where we are. Um, he he, he doesn't feel exclusive enough. No, yeah, I know, I know. Like it's okay. We need like twelve. So like you're in the top fifteen. Right. It's it's yeah. a it's a good thing. Um, Bellingham was left out of the Dortmund squad last night. Anybody know anything about that? I no. heard. Yeah, apparently he was left out of the Dortmund squad. 
honestly, I, I think I read that somewhere and didn't bother even to go and check if that was real. So he could have scored three. I have no idea. Um, I don't see it, Beryl. What do you think about Bellingham in the summer? Is like there, there are reports coming out that it does seem to be, um, the does seem to have like weight behind it. It it does appear that we are, despite our troubles this season, potentially is is number one, is number one destination. And actually, if you want to think about it, let's think about this. Our the gaps in our squad, the way Jude Bellingham seems to carry himself, would feel like he will view that as an opportunity to be a Virgil van Dijk, to have that status of I have come in here and I have changed everything. I have revolutionized this team. I brought this team to a different stratosphere where we are now punching right at the top of the table again. Whereas he might not get that in in any other if it's Real Madrid, you know, he's just gonna be another bit part. You know, we might start, but there's a very obvious position for him in our team. And our what we perceive now as our weakness might actually be the thing that gets building them over the line, the Liverpool. Dreaming, aren't they? Yeah, no, I, I think we share that dream. So yeah, I I I, I... There have been so many rumors. Uh, it it has been very persistent. Um, there, uh, you know, sometimes when things like this happen, you have agents denying stuff and or local journalists. But none of that has happened. Um, there is all this, uh, uh, you know, communication going on via social media but also you know uh, in the in the England camp between uh, between him and Jordan Henderson and and uh, Trent so yeah th- there seems to be smoke uh, there might be a, a fire uh, causing this smoke um and, and you know uh, uh, Chelsea you know we talked about Mason Mount there uh, for instance you know Chelsea uh, have done you know, tons of of uh, of deals, but you know uh, what, what was interesting was that in all of these deals they they massively overpay. But what they do is the they spread out the amortization about eight nine years, eight and a half years, I believe. You know, for Badia Shield and for this Mudrik kid. It's so much so that UEFA have introduced a, a new rule that it's a maximum of five years now. Did I read? Yeah, but you yeah, know, they... this has also come from this has come from the the decision in Syria against Juventus. Um they've been docked 50 points for exactly that. Exactly that. Um so I think that is the reason they're tightening the rules around it. I think what Chelsea have done is they've identified that this is coming over the hill and they are basically filling their boots while while they can, it appears, you know. Yeah. Well and, and if that's the case then you know maybe um a smart uh, ownership might conclude that m- maybe this is the time to to get in this kid and you know for which you you will have to overpay as well uh, and you know s- spread that uh, what will it be 120 million or 150 million uh, out over over you know 8 years um, making it a, a bit more palatable a bit more uh, easy to 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 uh, to uh, you know um, to make that fit into your into a a, a budget that is still um, you know sustainable. M- maybe th- that's what we are thinking right now. Maybe I'm you know just making up stuff. Uh, you know all of these things uh, can can all be true at the same time as well. Um, you know, I, I would love him at Liverpool. I think uh, you know that there's all this potential, and this kid seems to be some sort of a football romantic at this point in time. Uh, you know, the way um, Mbappe was uh, five years ago, um, and he seems to have uh, a good representation in you know his, his parents, his father. I, I believe is you know it's it's not always the best thing that. Uh, family uh, is is taking care of your uh, your management, uh, as we have seen in in previous uh, examples. But um, 
and and there's the the idea that his brother uh, Job, I believe, his little brother is who's still at Birmingham, um, is also uh, being touted as a talent and uh, a package deal. I, I heard a rumor about you know him, his brother, you know Jude, Job, and their father uh, all coming. Uh, to Liverpool and all in, in professional capacities, you know, not not uh, not only uh, to to watch Jude, but um, getting a job or getting a contract. You know, uh, stranger things have happened, and if that's what we need to get this uh, generational talent in, then uh, yeah, that that would be uh, I I would accept that, um, and, uh, and I'm sure that's very important for Liverpool F uh, FC. That I accept that, and uh, um, yeah, may maybe maybe he he, he sees himself as a, as a sort of uh, player who can who can save Liverpool once again, you know, like his uh, his idol uh, Steven Gerrard has uh, many times. Let's hope so. I'm for dreaming. Yeah, yeah let's hope so. I enjoy a dream, Andy. Um, let's get to the let's get to the, the serious business. Um, uh, Spirit of Sankley and the Manchester United Supporters Trust have released a joint statement. Um, I'm not going to read it all out, but the the crux of the message is that they feel there needs to be more regulation around um, potential owners of football clubs in England. Um, they feel like the current situation allows the potential exploitation and compromise of those particular clubs values heritage um, whatever way you want to frame it um and there are two very very different viewpoints on this so you know i would love to sit here and speak my mind but let's let's do our very best to look at this from two different perspectives um Manchester United and Liverpool are different. They are different from, from most football clubs, from all football clubs probably. Certainly in England, there are values, there is history, there is um, socio-political issues that have bled into the football club from an early, early time. There are key figures in each club's history that instilled a certain belief system um, which resonated with the city and, and, the, and the fan base. And no matter how much people try to ignore that, that will, that will sustain. And it seems to be that, for me, that seems to be the, the key kind of issue that people are butting heads over. Which seems fucking mental, but that seems to be it. Yeah, I can't believe Burrell got two goes on transfers, and I have to do Liverpool Twitter now, do you? Um, that's the way the cookie crumbles, is it? Um, Great so, Great so. Yeah, it, it's either that, or you talked about um, a wee bit more about Sophie and Amrabat. So, yeah, I suppose, or worse than that, football. So, or or if you want to do five minutes on um on taking um Reece Williams back. <laughs> um, from his loan spell, we can do that if you like. But to you, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do Liverpool Twitter. Thanks. So we we we've talked at length on the on this podcast about about our views on potential state ownership. And to quickly summarise what people have heard before from me, and I think we're all pretty much in agreement on this. I would much rather mediocrity, um, never see Liverpool lift a trophy again than win the lot, but simultaneously sports wash a murderous regime. It's not consistent with the values of the club, of the city, um, or myself as a person. Um and that and that and that's just where I stand on that. And you know, that may mean that we get left behind and Man City and Newcastle dominate English football for the next 20, 30, however many years. And for me, there's a there is just an element of 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 morals, of principle about it, um, and of of, of of you know essentially essentially doing what's right. I've seen I've seen a couple of people make the point about there's no perfect billionaires. 
all billionaires are dickheads. FSG aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Liverpool have a partnership with AXA, who are linked with the Israeli government. I haven't actually looked into that, but I, I trust that there is a link there. And for me, there's a couple of different facets to this because there's been a lot of accusations of racism, of Islamophobia, of xenophobia. And just to sort of to tackle those for a second, I don't think any of us are saying for one second that somebody from Qatar or somebody from Saudi Arabia or somebody from the Middle East can't own Liverpool Football Club, but somebody from America or Europe can. Nobody's saying that for one second. The difference to me, as far as I understand it, is that in these states, if you're not owned by the royal family themselves, you're owned by you know some relative of it or certainly somebody who has influence in the way that Russian oligarchs did and in the way that, that Roman Abramovich did lead, up, up to and including leading him to go and have to sell the club when Putin invaded Ukraine. It's not any business from these parts of the world. It's not a Qatari person or a Middle Eastern person or somebody from that part of the world or the Arabic world. It's the royal families, it's the people who make these laws, and it's the people who's, on whose heads, pardon the pun, um, are the, the treatment of migrant workers, the inhumane treatment of workers in these countries, the disgusting treatment of homosexuals and people who still have to live in complete fear in these countries just for, for being who people they are. who like um, allow their hair to be seen in public, God forbid. And you know, make no mistake about it, these, this is on the royal families of those countries. These are the lawmakers. These are the people who make these things how they are. They have a direct and full control over these things. It's not as if it's an, uh, you know, it's an MP in Britain. No, who it, only has... Andy, look, I think what they're driving out here is essentially it's a, a dictatorship. Well, th- yeah, well, but that's what that, that's what it is. And not only a dictatorship, but a murderous one. Um. And and one which, as a as I've reeled off a couple of things, you know, is is completely inconsistent with, with us. And um, how you actually, how you actually create an independent regulator is an absolute can of worms. Or how you actually where the line is is an absolute can of worms. You know, we've had the fit and proper person test. It didn't work. It didn't. Well, if it filtered out some dickhead owners, it certainly didn't filter out them all. We saw what happened to Barry. We saw what happened to Macclesfield. We've seen what happened to lots and lots of massive footballing institutions across this country who are brilliant cultural assets, assets in the community, um, and you know do some fantastic things for the country, and and are the linchpin of the country in, in many ways, shapes and forms of the economy as well. So you know the, they should be protected, they should be regulated, and there should be more stringent regulations from this government as to who can take over these football clubs. Um, as I say, what that looks like is a debate which we would need a whole other podcast to, to get stuck into. We probably need more education ourselves and a probably more of a knowledge of these fields to get stuck into. Um, but for me, Liverpool, it, it, it is good that Liverpool and Manchester United are, uh, are well, the two the two supporters groups, I'm not sure who the United one is, but Spurda Shankly and whoever it is, are putting this statement out, are raising this awareness um, about what could potentially happen to us. And I know we like to have a little bit of a laugh about how Man United get the Norwich scarves out when they're getting beat, and how you know they only protest when they're when they're when they're losing or whatever. Let's face it; if you actually look into it, the, those Glazers have been an absolute disgrace in what they've done to that football club. And don't There's get no me wrong, way. I've gained I've gained much joy out of uh, out of how bad they've been, mainly because Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United ruined my childhood by beating us twice a year, every year. The first time I saw us beat them was when I was 11 years old, the 2-1 where Riera makes his debut. You know, I've thoroughly enjoyed what's happened to them and I don't feel an ounce of sympathy for those people, um, those supporters or anything to do with that football club for what's happened. But if I'm looking at it from a purely objective point of view, do I think their protests are disingenuous or are wrong or are... Um, based on you know, based on anything other than what we'd be doing in the same situation. No, I don't. I actually am behind them on that. Um, and you know, if we can put rivalries aside on this issue, um, I think that's a massive thing that we can stand together over because we don't ultimately both the clubs as much as I don't think that 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 city stands up for things as much as we do, or those people or those supporters do as much as we do. 
ultimately they're not Man City, they're not Newcastle, they're not morally bankrupt in those ways, and they're not going to take any sort of state ownership or dictatorship running their club just for a few trophies or for a few wins. So, yeah, there's plenty to get stuck into. We could, you know, we could do it far more on it um, in another podcast. But, yeah, that's that's my sort of take on it. Yeah, fair, Chief. I, I know you'll not disagree with a lot of that, which is really strange <laughs> saying that because Andy's just said it. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we did a bit on that kind of state ownership last week and, like, where we, where would you draw the line? And it's an interesting conversation. Um, we've obviously got Newcastle, Man City, the two sort of extremes. People have now decided yes, that the one push. PSC as well, yes, yes, of yeah. course. Um, we've also got the the Whataboutery, which is, to be fair, exposed some fairly, you know, maybe detached but still um, unchecked um, relationships that Liverpool Football Club have with things that are fairly distasteful. Um, and we don't look in, yeah, we don't look into that enough. I know there's no such thing as a, a, a squeaky clean billionaire and blah blah blah. But I think not even is- that. It's it's just like without getting too existential on 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 your, it's the fucking world that you live in. Totally, totally. You know what I mean? It's, no, totally. It's and, essentially, yeah. business capitalism. It's not about nice fluffy things doing good for people. It's about how we can squeeze every last fucking dollar out of out of your ass, you know. And ultimately, no, that's listen, what yeah. So listen, you you are right, you are right. But I think the interesting thing for me, particularly from your vantage point, is where are you prepared to draw the line? None of it, none of it's ideal, but like far from it. FSG aren't ideal, from like you know, a, a values perspective, an ideological perspective, whatever way you want to frame it, they're not. But where, at what point do we go too far? You know, is it fine for a Qatari businessman working in electronics who's a billionaire to bias? Is it not fine for a Qatari businessman who is entrenched in the oil industry to, to own this? And I think this is this is the balance that people are struggling to find right now. I don't think it's, you know, I, when I, I, I think say when I say I ideal, yeah, when I say ideal, I mean like we all know the ideal world, and Andy said it himself. Happy to like, happy to be on my field that aren't like, where they're <laughs> they're not absolutely horrendous, um, and like just live through mid-table mediocrity. I can I can live with that and have the odds like underdog upset you know but where where see what i mean though but where where do you find the balance between being able to genuinely um have success and not going too far to the point where you feel like the whole club's values have been compromised good question actually i'm really it's a good question i'm pleased with it it, it, it is a good question but I, you know with the, without again maybe i'm in a minority of one who knows but i would say ultimately if we're honest really honest the club's values have already been compromised a long time ago they, they were compromised a long time ago football's values have been compromised and were compromised a long time ago and you know where do you draw the line you know, and state sponsor, state ownership, state sponsored clubs and stuff. I mean, it's like it's sticking a finger in a dike because what's what's coming next? You plug up one hole, you plug up a hole somewhere, there'll be another one somewhere else. Because particularly in 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 Britain, because the the Premier League is, as we were saying people, it's all about the money, all about the money. What Saudi Arabia got knocked back for for taking over Newcastle? Yeah. Apparently, some dodginess. Yeah, we, we didn't want them in. Right. How can we get them in? A couple of years later, right. Apply again. Bam, you're in. And they would do that Do that for anyone. So, there are... If you want to get political and, and talk about regimes, it is rich. It is very rich. You know, yeah, Gulf regimes 
have are 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 or despotic regimes of, of any kind you don't want to um you don't want to associate with you you don't want them involved in the ultimately the affairs of of, of what's a massively important um cultural event and and plank of of a an, another sovereign nation anyway what's what's the need for it why does a foreign power need to own a, like a foreign government need to own you know a football football club in in england it, it it doesn't really make sense unless you extrapolate it and it's it's this global business it's 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 a business it's a way of either making a lot of money or of making a name for yourself it's or brand of, it's brand cleaning up your reputation quote unquote but um where where do you draw the line you know roman abramovich sports washed if you want for for 20 odd years and people love them for it i mean the premier league love them for can you imagine where the premier league would the premier league be where it is now had abramovich not come in when he did and it showed the way for any billionaires who, who fancy a, a play thing and a, and a nice pad in London. Who knows? He was he was a, a horrendous phrase, a game changer in that regard. He showed the other billionaires how it's done. What you do, go go and buy a Premier League football club. You know, you get respectability. You get to be on TV, although low key. You know, you, you have a nice life. And... Um, I think it's very hard to to to, to you, you get owners like Mike Ashley or you get um Yankees, what they did to Blackburn or the lad who bought Cardiff and wanted them to play in red instead of blue or the guy who bought bought Hull and wanted to wanted them to ditch the Hull part of their name even though it's like football clubs are named after cities but ditch that just call yourself the Tigers yeah um, I just just ditch your geography there. Yeah. So ultimately, I don't think it matters really where you're from. Um, and I don't, if, if you have enough money to, to, to sponsor and by sponsor, I mean own and fund an elite level football club to be, you know, fighting at the very top of all the competitions. Then either you've, you know, in a perfect world, you're you're a conglomeration of insanely rich fans who have come together and and formed a consortium and, and bought the club. That's that's your absolute dream, probably. Um, obviously the fans have a bit of acumen because they've made themselves into what they are and they can afford to do it. But the reality is that's that's not going to happen most likely, and it's going to be billionaires and whether they're hedge fund owners. Or whether they're, you know, oil tycoons, or whether they're a consortium of Hollywood fucking actors, you know, ultimately they're the only ones who who can afford it, and they're the only ones who are, are going to be getting involved in 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 that kind of kind of stuff. And the only way you can kind of safeguard the the identities, the the the, the legacies, and and so on is is to have some kind of legally binding contracts that you have to sign a, an agreement a, 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 you know a, a, a league-wide or sport-wide agreement that when you come in to a football club and you you buy it you don't get the right to change the name of the the stadium you don't get the right to to you know change the the team colors bizarrely or you know anything that you can think is is reasonable and put in there Yes, you own it. Yes, you have. There's certain things you can do with it, but you can't actually rip the fucking heart out of it and and and, and run it into the ground. But you know that. What else can you do? I mean, they are commodities. Unfortunately, they you know they are cultural institutions, but they've been made in the businesses. Yeah, and they've been yeah. made in the, in the huge ones. So, what can you do ultimately? Yeah, that's where we are, Chief. That's where we are. It's it's sad, and there's maybe a lot of people, according to Twitter, that will disagree with us. But um, we are where we are. And until next time, folks, um, up the morally compromised Reds. <laughs>